Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm just feeling super. And I'm the machine. This is a pug. You are all in spandex right now, which I think is a great look. Great look for you. Would you say it looked incredible? No. A podcast <laughs> where a sentient machine is forcing us each season. I slurred my words. A podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. That year just so happens to be 2018. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to, although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, we're going to be watching the film Incredibles 2. Did you wash your hands? With soap? Did you dry them? What? Is this all vegetables? Who wanted all vegetables? I did. So, are we going to talk about it? What? The elephant in the room. What elephant? Mom's new job. It's time to make some wrong things right. Let me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes, and Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Dave, I don't know if you noticed, I, I, I'm going to call it out. Yes. I actually called this movie the wrong thing officially well, last I, week. Oh. Well. I called it The Incredibles 2, but that's not what the name of this movie uh, is. Uh. It's Incredibles 2. Is the first movie called The Incredibles? It is. Oh, it is The Incredibles. So if you go to a little website called https colon slash slash rottentomatoes.com and you type in The Incredibles 2, it comes back and says there's no movie by that name that exists. Oh, it won't and even show you pull. any information about it. <laughs> if you then type in The Incredibles, only the first movie shows up oh, and then you're left scratching your head like why is it not finding this movie and that is when you discover that if you type in incredibles then it'll show up both of the movies what a shitty... it's not called the incredibles it's just called incredibles 2 that's yeah, a shitty search engine it is <laughs> <laughs> what a stupid stupid website you have <laughs> well frankly the concept of getting an aggregate score based on it's okay is uh, mm. pretty fucking stupid to begin with, too. So. It's a shrug. It's a shrug. 90% of critics shrugged. That's mm. right. If 90% of the critics all give it 3 out of 5, that's the same thing as if they all give it 5 out of 5. They get the same score. <laughs> that's how you know it works. Brad Bird might have a thing or two to say about that. That might be us leaning into mediocrity a bit too much. Wow. If, wow. if I do say so wow. myself. A big thank you, of course, to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions help us continue the show since the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do a bonus episode over there. Before we get into talking about this week's film, Dave, of course, people come in and they're like, oh my gosh. I'm already on a Pixar film. Who better? Uh-huh. Who better? Or whom better? Nope. To discuss. There's no way that's right. <laughs> animated films. But these two yahoos who have decided to make an RSS feed and post audio. I watch to it. a lot of animation. I feel like I should have a doctorate in the mm. watching of animation. Right? Uh, I'm questionable about your opinions on animated films, but that's that's a sub point that how we'll get that, to. How is that a thing? I've seen your scores. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen your scores. What? Of what? My hair is like, it's been brushing my forehead and I feel like oh. someone's 
touching with a feather duster today. It's very irritable. Yeah. It's all part of my master plan. People t- tune into this not just to hear our opinions about animated films, but they also want to know our deep and rich fiction that we build upon each and every week. Mm. The ever-evolving storyline that is the backbone of this podcast. Spinal column. Dave, I've been mentioning here over the last couple of weeks that she needs to felt a little bit off. It seems to be like lovelorn or this a little bit of sorts. I infuse it with some jet. Jat from some chat GPT right uh, architecture into it, and I probably shouldn't have, but I did stuff it full of gamma radiation earlier again. this week. Again, yeah. I mean, you just you can't leave it alone. You already created one monster. You just thought I'd better up the ante because this might solve the problem. It's very American of you, Dave. What is the worst that could happen? Well, I thought we were trying to save the world. <laughs> well, tell me what what has happened. Gamma radiation on a robot. Does gamma radiation affect metal? I guess we're about to find out. Mm. I'm hoping that not only does it give it super strength, but it gives it super empathy. But we'll <laughs> see if that... <laughs> we'll see if my calculations oh, are that true. that a twist. Okay. You never know. Yeah. The Hulk might be angry, Dave, but at the core, it's love. He's softy. He's a softy. At least when Mark Ruffalo plays it. Yeah. And not you know, uh, the comic book nerds. Scarlett Johansson does a figure eight on his hand. He's like, oh my God. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I think if Scarlett Johansson did a figure eight on most heterosexual guys' hands, they would probably calm mm-hmm. down. So this is actually a decent segue because we are talking about Incredibles 2. This is a sequel to The Incredibles, a movie that came out in 2004, which is before the MCU, pre-superheroes being like the biggest thing in the world. And having re-watched The Incredibles this week, it is such a fascinating movie to watch for many different reasons, but one, yeah, because it doesn't feel like it's beholden to what, like, quote-unquote, a superhero movie has to be. It was more a riff on what superhero television shows used to be. Mm-hmm. But this is this is my, this is not, like, a new opinion or Ooh. anything. Ooh. But really coalesced for me is... Ooh, good word. Thinking back in 2004, some of the superhero films that we had had up until that point, because we would have had the first X-Men yeah, and Spider-Man, the first two. Spider-Man already came out. But even though special effects were getting better... This was, I think, truly the first film that was able to be, we can take exactly what's in the comic books and show it to you on, oh, like on the fanta- um, Reed Richards' stretchy and all that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, yeah the stretchy stuff, but, but even like the action sequences, like things exploding and not looking, okay, I can see the limitations of early 2000s special effects. I don't know, Matrix came out, Lord of the Rings is already out. I, I would say more, I would say it's more obvious because it was individual humanoid figures that were able to perform those stunts. I mean, environmental special effects were quite developed at that point. I don't remember feeling like Pixar was doing something environmentally that was so unique, other than the fact that you could live in an imaginary island. But yeah, like watching people, quote unquote, cartoon Mm -hmm. people that could stick their chest out and stop a car or stretch or run really fast or turn invisible. It was fun. And human being films had trouble doing that. Probably still kind of do. I would maybe argue, I mean, not to the same degree. I I think it's more that there could be multiple powers being shown on screen. Because even if you go back to the X-Men films, it's usually like one mutant is doing something on screen versus like all of them doing something at the same time. Although that was also kind of a limitation of writing at that time. Which another little side point. Can I just say how dirty Hollywood has treated Marsden? What's his first name? (laughs) (laughs) Not Richard. The guy who plays Cyclops. 
Oh, a James Marsden. James Marsden. Yeah. Who in like everything else is like so charismatic. Yep. And in that, in those movies is like nothing. Is <laughs> this like a nothing burger, the entire trilogy? I, the first, well, it's because he probably didn't uh, let Brian say, touch his touch butt. Him? Yeah. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? Has he been exonerated from that? <laughs> I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I mean, I was, uh, Helen put on this really old uh, Stevie Nicks documentary and one of the esteemed critics is some guy from the Village Voice and you could tell 100% that he was in love with Lindsay Cunningham, uh, no, what's, mm. the, uh, what's his name? Is it Lindsay Cunningham? No, whatever, the guy and he hates Stevie Nicks and it's hilarious <laughs> because the moment he has to mention her, it's like virulent, it's like the nasally goat voice, like he's just so, Whoa. like it's like so personal <laughs> and then they get to rumors and he's like, in spite of Stevie Nicks, this album's actually quite a good album and you're like, why would you even throw that out there? It's like she punched him in the face once. It's a weird thing to, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I guess rumors, you know, one of the best albums of all time. I guess it's pretty good. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Would have been better without the lead singer. No, no, it wouldn't have been. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> the whole point is that there. I really like the first film. I think the first Incredibles film classic holds up so strong, so yeah. it works. A bit dated visually, but that's about the only like minor criticism yeah. I have of that film. But other other than that, across the board, great. It does live in a cartoon world. So you can live with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing. I think it's even more of a shock if you go back to original Toy Story. It's not which is like a five out of five movie for like I do love Toy Story a lot, but it's like oof, those yeah. no, <laughs> character designs of the humans are a little bit off-putting. Uh, no, they're very off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> Dead eyes <laughs> yeah. and yeah. they learn quickly after that. You just show the hands, the hands yeah. and the feet. You don't need the face. But what are your thoughts on the first film? Oh yeah, it's a, it's a classic. Holds up really well. I think I rewatched it not for this episode, but uh, definitely through COVID. But I want to say as early uh, as uh, recently as last calendar year, because Emerson's getting old enough to watch a bunch of animated sure. films. It's great. It's it's paced really well. Voice acting is yep. amazing. The story's fantastic. This was also still in the time. Time with that voice acting. I guess Pixar still does this to an extent, but they they pick very unique voices mm. like no one no one on like on a bingo card in 2004 was you know who which two actors are going to be in one of the biggest movies this year craig t nelson and holly hunter like, <laughs> Although, they, like no one would have said that well it's like or like uh, albert brooks and ellen degeneres are going to be in the number one film this year well it's here's like, the thing yeah i i it's hard to know what casting voice acting was like pre roll call list of a-list celebs just trying to get a grammy mm -hmm. or whatever but learning that freddie prince jr is a voice actor right it's it's sure. kind of interesting right it's like they are out there and they have their own little world a world i think you know more about than most yeah. people so maybe maybe that was the a-list maybe like we're making finding nemo and if we don't get albert brooks on this thing we're not we're not letting <laughs> we're this happen dead in the water <laughs> we need the brooks man <laughs> Before Drive, so he didn't have any mm -hmm, credibility mm -hmm. left. The '90s did not do well for his uh, street cred. No, but he had some. He had some uh, pretty beloved films up until that point. Yeah, name them. Broadcast News. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Broadcast News. Talking about Holly Hunter. Great performance. Oh, so good. Yeah. If she didn't have such a cartoon voice, I think she would have had an even bigger career. I love holly hunter's voice yeah i could have her just read me things i think she should be like an audiobook narrator i'm sure she has you audiobooks. can you can poo poo this dave because you're so like <laughs> thumb down the nose of small town america 
but there's just something down home. I just like it's, it's honestly very close to the Scottish brogue, which I'm also a big fan of. It's just something about that when the draw know, a female voice has that lilt to it that mm-hmm. is just like, oh man, there's just some, I just want to, I just want to keep hearing you talk. Yeah. That's not, that's not creepy at all. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to lay down in your voice. This one, <laughs> I want your voice to encompass me like a blanket. Does that make sense? I want to, well, I want the audio form to be my form. Is this creepy? <laughs> it will be if we ever get to meet her. That ship has well and truly sailed. You know, this was peak Pixar writing. So we have mm-hmm. the midlife crisis slash identity crisis, but wrapped up in a very well-paced sort of, not caper, but yeah, superhero at 50s TV show. 80s comic book whatever uh type of narrative yeah. uh, and i think i mentioned this last week too having just done the rewatch what's so fascinating is that absolutely it's that pulp magazine 50s superhero style but it is just as much as a, of a, a james bond riff in yeah. that first film yeah like edna mode is q like it's the secret layer in the volcano like it's this is so james bond stuff that they are they are using but also 50s 60s james bond right it's not yeah. daniel craig's james bond no, yet right, right. so uh, you know that's the thing I, I uh i think that this is american culture is already deep into its war on terror but this felt like such a good reprieve because it's fun imagine remember when movies were just fun like it's a silly yeah movie it's fun it still has a good philosophical and psychological core because we do whether you're young or old you do identify with mr incredible just you know in this dead end i mean i worked insurance at the time so i extra love this film but it's like sure just the doldrums of corporate lifestyle right so it it ticks that box but then at the end it's it's cute it's cute it's fun i think you're right about just it being a fun movie i don't know how long the process was back then but this would like if it came out in 2004 it probably started around 2001 as far as the generation from it so this could even be a pre-9-11 movie i don't know i didn't look that up but it's possible that that is that is true the other thing i love about that first movie though at the core of it and brad bird has spoken about this is that he doesn't really care so much about like the superhero stuff he really cares about the individual the actual person part of it yeah. and i think in the first movie it gets nailed so much that this is a core family unit yeah. they have their squabbles and fights and stuff like every normal family does but i think what's so effective of it at least for me having the conversations being like we're in superhero mode and then it quickly turns like now i'm a mother talking to a daughter yeah and i need you to listen to me okay like i need you to listen to me as a mother talks to a daughter and it's that really cool switch that goes back and forth which i think maybe people do feel about the fantastic four but i never did because i never really liked like those the comic films books. or the comic book this the comic books i don't know because um, yeah. they're called the first family of marvel like that is what Whatever. their code By name nerds. is yeah sure. but but I, I it was always too heady sci-fi for me yeah. that, that's just my opinion yeah i mean I, I don't know fantastic four i don't i really truly cannot understand nerd's fascination with that comic book franchise but i will say that to your point they are a normal nuclear american family and when they have the same problems our families would have like the parents don't have enough time for their kids or right. you know they're searching for themselves they just they only turn up the volume for those conflicts, but not for their relationships. So they right. still feel relatable. Yeah, that's totally a great observation. Uh, yeah, they're still kids. They're still a tween. They're still a baby. Yeah, maybe that's why it is hit that timelessness sense where even 20 years later, we can 
watch this and enjoy it for what it is. I think I'll bring up the first one a few more times throughout this conversation, but very briefly then, we've both seen this film yep. before, the sequel. Uh, two, yes. We were talking before we pushed record about how I've seen this movie, but I don't really remember a whole lot about this movie, no. weirdly enough. Like, I know I have seen it. I went to see it in theaters, even. Oh, so wasn't this streaming already? Yeah, 2018. Oh, we, we streamed this. In 2018, I went to the theaters when it first came mm. out, where I made a boatload of money sure. the year it came out. But before we segue into talking about this film, I just wanted to briefly talk about Brad Bird, the director, who we have talked about before, way back in our first season in 1999. His first directed, his first time being a director was The Iron Giant, which very much failed at the box office. <laughs> he was working on The Simpsons and stuff like that as a uh, character designer. Pixar brings him over and he does The Incredibles. That's his follow-up to The Iron Giant. He then steps in to do Ratatouille in 2007. If I remember the story correctly, someone can write in to see if I'm wrong on this, but from my memory, there was a bit of a troubled production and it was a different director initially, so he had to come in and kind of save, quote-unquote, save Ratatouille. Okay. But then, yes, uh, because of two big hits, he decides, well, I want to try some different things. Let's work with some humans. Yeah. And yeah, let's work with some humans. Let's go to live action. And he goes and jumps aboard the Mission Impossible train. At that time, Tom Cruise was doing this really interesting thing where he's bringing in very skilled directors who had not been given a big chance yet. I think J.J. Abrams for Mission Impossible 3. I think uh, Brad Bird does four. Yeah. And he brings in uh, Christopher McQuarrie on the rest for of them. the rest but, of them, yeah. But he does the one with the, with the Burj Khalifa scene. That's yeah. the one that Brad Bird does. That's right. That makes a bunch of money, of course. It's a great movie. And so then he goes on to do Tomorrowland. Do you remember Tomorrowland? I've never seen it. I went to the theaters and oh. saw Tomorrowland. Is Tomorrow Wait, Tomorrowland is that the one George Clooney? It is. Yeah, no, pass. <laughs> it's it's I I cannot remember anything about it. It is such a forgettable film. Even at the time, I was like, ugh, like this was not good. Although I still remember two effects sequences mm. that I thought were done like super super well. There's some really cool transitions because. Okay. Again, all from all what I remember that plot, which is zero, basically, there's a ring or something that she touches that takes her to a different location. But it's done so seamlessly where she like touches it and literally everything around her just changes. Mm. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a cool effect that they were able to utilize. Anyways, that film makes zero dollars, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it makes negative money. Uh, even with the cloonster in it. Yeah, Gross. I know, Gross. which is which is the big surprising thing. This is something that happened to a, a few of the Pixar directors who go over and try a live action thing and it bombs because uh, same thing happens to John Carter, which was Andrew Stanton uh, of Pixar fame, uh, also bombs at the box office. I haven't seen that either. They're both uh, available on Disney+. I will Disney say this. Plus. John Carter... Perfectly fine. It's a mm. perfectly fine movie. I don't. I think it's a bit hated on more than it needs to. Mm. It's not great, but it's not awful either. It's okay. a. It's like a medium film. Okay. <laughs> Tomorrowland, completely disposable. It's not good. Like it's. It, it was just a misfire. So he kind of has to come back to animation to Pixar to help save him. Although to be fair, to be really fair about this, he had started pre-production on this movie before Tomorrowland came out. But I think he might have seen the writing on the wall. <laughs> Because afterwards, he could not get any of his live-action films greenlit. But we'll see. We'll see what the future holds for Mr. Brad Bird. But anything you want to say about the Birdster? Birdie. You know, I didn't follow directors per se, except for the big, big names, right? But when I watched Mission Impossible, is it called 4? Or did it already have a weird No, moniker? it would have been Fallout, I think. No, 
Fall no, is it's five. not. Dang it. Ghost Protocol. Ghost I think it's Protocol. Ghost Protocol that he does. So when that came out, I loved it. I think we bought it on Blu-ray and I've seen it many times. And that was when they were talking about how this Pixar director, mm-hmm. his first foray into live action. What was interesting is the trailer came out for Tomorrowland. And I was like, I do not want to watch this. I will not sure. give this production any money. And then I lost track of him. So I know the name. I didn't actually know that he was so involved in Ratatouille, which is also a yeah. classic. So Referenced in Best Picture Winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Oh man, Rakakuni's fucking hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm excited to see, you know, where his uh, his um career goes. But last point before we go to our break is just a simple fact. I think you can tell. Even in the, the misfires, like Tomorrowland, John Carter, I always remember this thing that Steven Spielberg once said in an interview, where he said that every director, didn't care whether they were like majority live action or whatever, should do at least one animated short in their life. Ah. For the simple fact that it helps you, you have to visually have the story in your head. You can't just place a camera and have the actors go. You have to storyboard it, you have to think about it, you have to conceive of it from the get-go and then get your animators to start to animate it. Otherwise, you're just wasting time and wasting money. It makes you become far more economical as a director. I actually do agree with that because even in those misfires, the action sequences flow. Like there's, Mm. there's, there's not just like random cuts and we'll just try and make this work in the editing. I just always presume that every director is trained or around the idea of storyboarding and whenever you look up storyboarding it's essentially looks like comic book artists are designing sure. these things that's interesting i've never heard that quote before uh, I, w- I wouldn't disagree with it it's just uh, i always just assumed intuitively that was part of the process i think that might be more i don't know when this interview was to be honest with you but it's more than a decade old i think i i would say that as the as the indie scene explodes and it becomes easier and easier to make a film mm-hmm that I think maybe the art of storyboarding is starting to go away where it's just like, well, it's digital. We can just do 17 takes if we need to. It doesn't really matter. But I've always internalized that. It was like, no, I think people should have a, at least an idea until something throws a, a wrench into the gears. So like, this is what I want it to look like. Do you, feel, do you think that's why you and I feel like the art of editing is disappearing? It's not the editor. It's like the director has sent too much conflicting footage and they're trying yeah. so hard to squeeze it together because they don't work so hard on storyboarding i think i think there might be something to that yes who knows i mean yeah we don't have the inside scoop that's it's interesting to think about i honestly believe you should be doing less thinking all right well let's do this we want to jump into talking about incredibles too so uh we'll take a short break and then when we come back we'll be talking about that very film all right dave we are here in the break section what are we saying this week uh we don't have any on point messaging so no. we'll just say that it would be very nice for a sponsor to scoop us up and uh, give us some funding we should apply You're for such grant. a great deal this is like community where i saw a poster at canada post that they would offer a grant for community oriented programming so if we keep saying the word calgary we might be <laughs> eligible for this local calgarian community-oriented podcast nothing more local than talking about the disney corporation (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's that uh i think last week you introduced a scheme of different ways that people could get involved but i don't remember if you want to advertise your own thing 
Well, you should reach out to us at Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. We're sorry we picked such a long moniker. I try a longer one. It, it <laughs> just would not let me. And uh, you can pitch us on what you want us to talk about, whether that's another podcast of yours, an artwork you've made, an animated short maybe that you have done. And we will talk about it for Ad at nauseum. least a minute, if not longer. We'll charge a dollar a minute. Uh, we'll talk, we'll, we'll charge more than that. But the, the, the point of it is that we're an independent podcast and you can either support us directly like that, or you can support us on Patreon where we do bonus episodes and, uh, well, it's basically just bonus episodes at this point is what we put up over there. We, we can't prioritize time when you don't mm. make that capital gain. I just realized Kyle quickly reading a lot of communist and anti-capitalist books. I'm radicalizing my son. Yeah. Oh. My eight-year-old starting to get upset. About? <laughs> Capitalism and the culture of monopolies, Amazon, Disney. It's great. Having met your son, I would find it eminently hilarious if him just walking in and <laughs> throwing his switch. Nintendo's such bullshit. He's <laughs> <laughs> well, just getting angry. You know, we are stuck in it. So he knows uh, you can't throw anything out. But I explained to him how Amazon bullied their way to a monopoly on books and how they control mm -hmm. all the publishers. And he's just like, that's not fair. Although, you know what weir is weird though? Yeah. It is not fair. You know what's so super weird? I was reading this article. Amazon might be too big now, but there has been a huge increase of Barnes & Noble over the past year, simply because they realized if we go smaller, yeah. small bookstores, intimate, really lean into like local engagement and stuff like that, that's something that Amazon can't do. And they're making huge gains just well, be by being a bookstore. Well, I wouldn't say small bookstores, they'll swallow them all up. Yeah, we, we do need that. We need some kind of movement. That book I'm reading, Choke Point Capitalism, talks about this word monopsomy. So instead of a <laughs> mm -hmm. monopoly, it's when the buyer has all the power, a single buyer, mm. which is what's happening with Disney, Google, Apple, Amazon. They're not selling monopolies, they're buying monopolies in terms mm. of their role. And it's fascinating to read how that works and to just nod and be like, we're fucked. What else can I do but give Disney my money? So let's talk about one of their properties <laughs> because there's no avoiding it. And you can give us money <laughs> about that. So yes, let's do that. All right, we're back from the break. Uh, Dave, we've sat down, we've rewatched this movie, Incredibles 2, and uh, we should do a scenario just in case people have not seen this sequel, which again, based on what it made at the box office, seems hilarious to me. But regardless, <laughs> let's say that we are at our local Comic-Con, which is coming up here very soon here in I've Calgary. I've never been to one. Did you know that? Yeah, I, that doesn't surprise mm -hmm. me. I dressed up for one. Uh, well, that doesn't surprise anyone. <laughs> it will surprise you that it was Mystique. Oh. It was Mystique. I, I thought you would have gone as a Navi. Uh, it was Nitiri. Yes, I walked the... The show floor. <laughs> um, and I asked people to touch their braids with mine. And for some reason, I'm not allowed back. Okay. What were you so, hiding in um, yours? That's the real question. <laughs> that's the question. So we're at the local Comic-Con. We're hearing like Elijah Wood speak about wow. his experience working on uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Sin because City? apparently he has nothing better to do than come to Calgary and talk about that. Actually, that might not be untrue. What is he doing? Yes, Mr. Mr. Wood, I'd like to ask you some questions about North, the movie North. And uh, someone behind us, he taps you, taps you on the shoulder, and he like Ugh. brings out a, a DVD copy of Incredibles 2, sorry, on Disney DVD, and he asks you, what's this movie about? And in hushed tones, what do you respond with? Hushed tones, that's already gross. Well, he's speaking, You're, you don't want to be like allowed. Nobody gives a shit, although it would 
be a bad mob to be destroyed by angry nerds. What is this movie? Uh, uh, how would you describe this movie, Kyle? Let's go with the plot. Don't don't worry about what the theme is. Here's the thing. What what happened in this movie? Oh oh okay so, okay okay. Uh, how do, uh, okay? I'm starting to remember. What is Mrs. Incredible's name? Mr. Incredible and well, her name Elastigirl. is Elastigirl. If we presume they've seen the first one, we would say yes. the film shows the aftermath. No, that's not right. It's really about. I don't know. What is this movie? I, I got nothing. What is this movie about? <laughs> they're like, they, they're illegal again. This billionaire is going to try to make them legal. But mm-hmm. his sister, do we reveal the twist? That's the big twist at the it's end. Yeah. Complicated, right? There's mind control it takes up in exactly it. where the first film uh, left off. Yeah. But in the aftermath of them dealing with this other supervillain, a uh, brother-sister team approaches them to be like, we need to get a face of the superhero team so people aren't afraid of them anymore. But Mrs. Incredible is the better face for that. So she goes off to work, whereas Mr. Incredible has to now stay at home and be a stay-at-home dad. So they've switched careers, basically, and they have to deal with the consequences. That's basically what this movie is. All right. Yeah, sure. It's a Mrs. Incredible movie. That's what this movie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. What are your thoughts on the movie, Dave? (laughs) Well, obviously, not a huge fan of it. I, I thought it was pretty forgettable. It wasn't, you know, for all the things we talked about with the first film being well-paced, having a strong narrative structure, having characters, even if they're tropey that we can identify with, this thing kind of misses the mark on a lot of that. I don't want to sound too patriarchal like it was the 1950s nuclear family that made it work the first time, but this one was playing on the counter trope that, you know, that Mr. Incredible was completely incapable of being a dad. And was so jealous of his wife that he had like a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just felt odd to me. And then adding in like Jack-Jack having, like it's a comedy bit. I get it. But they spent a lot of time with the baby developing their multiple superpowers that we actually already knew that he had from the ending of the first film. The twist is pretty predictable and uh, just felt belabored. There are some fun moments in it. But I like even now, the second time watching it, I can't remember what happened. I mean, that is the biggest, the biggest uh, ding on this movie is that I've now seen this twice, and I am also like you, struggling to remember plot points of a movie I saw this past week. Like yeah. it's like what, again? what about happening again? That's just because you have serious brain damage. I'm gonna be more positive on this movie than you, although I still hold many of the same criticisms. I just think it's. It's still a, a fun movie for the most part. Although I agree with Brad Bird in that I can tell that he doesn't really care about the superhero stuff because I find that the least interesting part of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like very the least interesting part of this movie. I do think that the stuff that's happening at home, even the stuff of like their daughter, like trying to go on a date and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just far more compelling to me than this kind of, I don't know, more heady thing that they're doing, which is like, corporations trying to control a message and and the feeling one gets when maybe a spouse is getting more popular than they are it's going so far left field from what the first movie was which is a fun pulpy movie which is what i assume everyone going to see it wanted it to also be it wanted to be a continuation of this fun pulpy stuff cool villain that's another thing we didn't say about the first movie oh yeah, he's a amazing. cool thing that happens it's uh, and i love it when movies are able to do this it is a villain he's absolutely 100 percent a villain <laughs> yeah but kind of has a point like, yeah, he kind of yeah. has a point of why he is a villain yeah. whereas this one is like 
So what is what is she trying to do? Like she's trying to like pause it so that people are afraid of superheroes so that she can swoop in and not have superheroes I again. Know. I guess she wants like, I don't petty know. crime. Like her dad was too proud of knowing Gazer Beam, so it's superheroes' fault that he died. Like I don't, it's very convoluted. It's very convoluted. Whereas in the first one. It is a one-to-one. Like, oh, yeah. I totally get why he is the way he is. Love it's from or this event. <laughs> right. Well, it kind of is. Yeah. I just think it's so bogged down in that stuff where yeah. it's like, I just want this to be pulpy fun. Yeah. And I know this is coming in the middle of, again, the MCU dominance. And Brad Bird, one of his big things was like, I didn't want it to just be a another Marvel movie. film. Mm-hmm. So he intentionally went into a different direction, but I think a bit too much in the opposite direction the irony of that being it's a marvel film because it can't pick a fun tone Mm. i don't know it's my biggest gripe with modern marvel films is that there's no fun left like all of the budget consideration and writing aside it's like you know when you watch any of them from uh, even infinity war past infinity war how many of them can you say were actually fun to watch maybe shang chi maybe well, there's mo- there's there's isolated moments, but yeah, it's yeah, like they're a all whole trying. package. They're trying to be existential, you know, and they're trying right. so hard to like do what this movie's doing, which is find a deeper rooted well, again because analysis of the psyche, right? And you don't, yeah, who gives a because shit? Because of the length of the production, I do know that this was starting to be written in 2015. Oh, so wow. again, I think 2015 Marvel, maybe you have a point. By 2018 Marvel, it's like uh, you're kind of veering into the same direction. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I still again. Still kind of have fun with this. There's some cool set pieces. Yep. I like the other superheroes that they they come across yeah, yeah, yeah. and are kind of weirdo powers. Uh, they have some fun things there with like the uh, the, the action set piece at the very yeah. end. Yeah, the portals is good. Portals and, and everything else. I also love the reveal, spoiler, of the guy who says he just has acid reflux. Oh, yeah. Where you think that might be true. And then it's real. No, actually, he actually does have a superpower. <laughs> the, uh, the quick joke on uh, yeah. the crusher. Not He's like, uncrush. That's just not what I do. You know, that's pretty funny. Yeah, how, how do you unpunch somebody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's still, there's still there's those elements. Like, the, the, those are fun. Uh, the stuff at home is fun. The whole Edna sequence. Edna's always I love good. that character. Yeah, is so great. Good, good character. Uh, voice by brad bird i always like to bring up that's him doing the voice of her uh, holly hunter does a great job with with what sure. she's given i think it, there is some compelling stuff here i just think like you said it gets a little bit bogged down so uh i think it's it's good i would say this is actually a good movie but this is very much mid-tier pixar for me the weird thing is yeah if mid-tier pixar is fine they've you know they make cars so the the, the wrong is yeah. low Right, it's That's not like good dinosaur planes. cars. What are the fuck? Right, well, they planes is not Pixar technically. Yeah, but. So, but here's the the damning thing: It's like my wife also didn't remember that we'd watched it until it started mm. to play, and by the end, both her and my son were kind of like shrugging. They weren't yeah. invested in the fun of it. Nobody left saying, "Oh wow, that was like that was like really cool." I remember when this thing happened. Whereas uh, when you watch some of the more classic films, even if you watch creepy uh uncanny valley toy story one by the end you're like oh i'm really moved by these weird tin can robot humans because right. the story and the pacing are just so so good in spite of having fun moments it's not a good film um so are you wait are you are you saying that you're going to rate this like with a negative score basically a negative score no a middling score Middling. okay yeah i, just, I know is this a fail like a failing score for no, you? no like i said the I mean, if we want to even go outside of Disney and Pixar, there are so many fucking terrible 
animated movies. Like, <laughs> there are a lot of zeros, right? So, this is... Not, I know, not necessarily a film, <laughs> but my nephew, I was back home for Easter here a couple of weekends ago, and he showed me some stuff on YouTube, which is oh, like these God. Minecraft videos, and oh. I was like, this is actually so the worst thing I, know. I have ever seen in my entire life. The crazy thing is one of the more popular ones is voiced by Patton Oswalt. Really? Yes. Yes. We'll just leave it hanging at that. That's It's just yes. They're bad. They're mm -hmm. so bad. I like as soon as he left the room, I was like, I'm turning this off. I can't even passively be sitting here with this on. The other night Emerson's cackling, cackling, and he runs in to tell me that I have to watch this thing. And it's one uh -huh. of these Minecraft videos. And I almost told him that he's never allowed to use YouTube again <laughs> because it's breaking him as a human being. Yeah. Well, but instead I just shrugged it off because you know, he's eight. It's not his fault. I think it is. Now, I think this is giving the movie maybe a bit too much credit. I'm going to reveal, reveal, <laughs> like some massive secret. In the backstory, I'll go into probably why it feels a little off okay. as far as pacing goes. Okay. There was some so drama. I, I do feel bad for the people involved that were essentially did have to rush this out. Okay. So they did not have the full amount of time that they had agreed upon when they first started working on this movie. Okay. So there might be some meddling with Pixar slash Disney that caused it to feel that way. I'm going to give it a little bit of leeway since I've learned about that. Kevin Feige is like, look, if we're going to buy this, if you're going to buy us, we're doing this the right way. So some straight thoughts before we do some of that backstory. The spitting water out of her nose scene that the teenage girl does oh, uh, when they're at their family yes, restaurant and her boyfriend or, yeah. is now such a meme at this point. Oh. Like, I actually had forgotten it was from this movie for some reason. What do you mean? I thought it was like the actual like still of her like blowing the water out of her oh, nose. I've never seen it on the internet. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's always like oh. just to add the comedic effect. I didn't know of, of what they're stating. That's that's the peace of mind you get by not having Twitter. They, you can definitely tell that fourteen years have passed mm. between First Incredibles and, and this one. The quality. We're watching them back to back, I'm just like, whoa, okay, yeah, there has been definitely a a huge upgrade. But one thing I just wanted to call out because you went on like this big fucking tirade here a couple of weeks ago on this very podcast about the new math that your son has to do, and there's an oh. entire scene about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in this yeah. movie. Yep, yep. I remember, I think I said that last time too, but my brother did what Mr. Incredible had to do in this, which is mm -hmm. uh, pre-study so that he could help uh, on some of the math. Although I found out in Ontario, uh, my nephews have been receiving homework since fucking grade one. So that's Whoa. disgusting. And uh, apparently in Alberta, you just don't get it. It's like COVID. It doesn't exist, pal. It doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I don't know what relation he would be to me. He was my mother's cousin, so I don't know what that second means to me. Second uncle? Regardless, he was a school teacher while he was alive, but his philosophy was that uh, if you could not teach the kids during the time mm. that you had class together, yeah. that you were just offloading work to them unnecessarily. That you should be able to do everything you can do inside the classroom. I mean, I, I can't speak to it as a reflection of the teacher themselves, and I do know uh, looking at what my nephews were studying in grade, they're in grade eight and seven right now. They're learning like trigonometry that you and I would have learned mm. in grade 10. Sure. So the pacing is increasing, but I do agree in the sentiment that offloading that pace for the kid to constantly be in a book in his off hours is completely unreasonable. And if we can't teach kids that amount of material within the allotted, you know, whatever the 
proscribed time is. Kids shouldn't be running into university when they're fucking 17, 18 years old because they're still dumb. You know, we could take a little bit more time, even if they don't want to be in school, or give them gap years or something. We got to figure mm-hmm. out a way to not churn out people with BAs. The, the truly pessimistic part of me is that it just prepares you for like, quote unquote, real work, yeah, where yeah. you're supposed to work from home well, and do all this stuff from. after you go home. Yeah, rote learning was closely tied to uh, corporate identity for sure, but that's gone now. So they should just do it on TikTok because that's what everybody wants to do is be on TikTok. <laughs> that's right. Both films deal with this idea of like legalizing superheroes Mm. it is something that actually the marvel films would deal with with a couple of their own films but i do think that brad bird as a creator is like obsessed with this almost with this idea because both of the films deal with it to such a heavy extent of if we do live in a world where there is superheroes that does mean that there is a walking around, not to use a George Bush phrase here, but like a weapon of mass destruction. This is someone who can destroy things with relative ease. So like, how do we deal with that? Anyways, it's a, it's a, I just think that's a fascinating thing to keep exploring and picking apart. Well, if superheroes are real, like how much do we just like, oh yeah, they're good. So it's fine. Let them do whatever they want. I think it's giving too much credit to say that both films are independent treaties on the same subject i think the second one feels more just like this is the world they already exist in let's continue a tired conversation about legality the first one for sure is fantastic yeah first one for sure but the second one specifically like there is actually a moment where uh the catherine keener evil person does say like just because you save me doesn't make you right i just think like that phrase by itself is a, such an interesting thing. I don't think it has enough time to explore that concept. Yeah, that's the but, thing. It's a good line, but that's not what yeah. the movie dwells on. But there's the accord, and they're trying to get all the nations to get together the and Sokovia say, yes, accord? we want. Yeah, I know, just... I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so why is it always an accord? Why is this? Why, why is it that word? That, that's a, you know why? Because the people writing this are from our generation, where all of those uh, global yeah. uh, things were called accords. They don't call them accords anymore. I should just be able to decide everything. I love Jack-Jack. I do feel that the character's also a bit of a cheat yeah plot wise, of course because he can just basically do anything that you need him to do in that On plot moment yeah. and i feel that it would have been much stronger had it been like he could do three things and he could do those three things but not like basically anything you need him to do yeah we're gonna get into the induce ex machina or it's is just that it's like oh we just need him to be a heavy boulder now yeah. let him be a heavy boulder oh we need him to turn into a demon let him turn into a demon we want him to turn invisible he can turn invisible we can was, have him teleport we're gonna have him teleport it was such a f- fun Pick gag two or three. yeah it was a fun gag in the first one even though it was kind of used the same way but it was just kind of a good slapstick way to finish that fight but it becomes a problematic character in general to write about because you know you have this still newborn baby who's hyper-intelligent, has every superpower imaginable. I mean, we want to talk about sort of the problematic (laughs) existential ethics of a superhero. Jack-Jack is like the culmination of everything you should fear. Laser beams that can take out trees and stuff. He can do anything. And once that kid is in puberty and like a surly teenager, he can literally run the world because Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do. Isn't it? There's actually, not that I was alive when this TV show was on, I just didn't know about it. There's a very classic Twilight Zone episode about this very thing with an all-knowing kid who can basically kill you if he wants you to do. So everyone just does everything that the kid wants them to do. Like that's basically what your Jack-Jack is going to turn into. That's that's why I feel like this thing didn't feel fully cooked. Mm. I I don't know what you do with a character like that, right? Like put him in a superhero nursery. It It just didn't, it didn't lend itself to a sequel. I know... 
production companies love a sequel probably because they don't have to worry too much about developing new IP, like uh, intellectual you know, characters and not worrying about copyright infringement, all that kind of shit. I think they're just boring now, right? Sequels. Well, I will go to bat and say, I think that the core idea here is still a strong one. That being said, Pixar almost had its uh, its hands tied. Like I know it now has done multiple sequels to multiple different franchises and they'll continue to do so. But um, for a while, it was like only Toy Story. It was only Toy Story that got sequels and then Cars started to because it got so popular. People Why? basically... People demanded there to be an incredible sequel. Yeah. Like being on the internet from like 2005 to like 2011. People are Oh upset. my God. Like every year we want a sequel. We want a sequel. There's all these sequels coming out. You're doing another Toy Story, but we want an incredible sequel. You've done three Cars films. Why am I getting Finding Dory first? We want an incredible sequel. We want Incredibles. They wanted this sequel so bad that they essentially just pushed Pixar to do one. And... I mean, it was lucrative for them. So, I mean, I can't, they're, they're not wrong <laughs> not necessarily, at least on a monetary level. Right. So, to get into that, instead of talking around it, let's just go through this. So, this movie opens up on June 15th of 2018. Currently, it is rated 3.5 on Letterboxd, has a 7.5 on IMDb, an 80 on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, from 390 critics, it has a 93%. And from 10,000 plus users, it has an 84%. Oh, that's higher than I thought it would be. 84. Yeah. But I think people do generally like this movie. Uh, available on DVD and Blu-ray. Available for rent on both YouTube and iTunes. And you can stream it on Disney+. Plus. You're going to get so mad, Dave. Its budget was $200 million. It's incomprehensible. Like, I know animation costs more, presumably, than live action, but, but these this numbers This is costing just as much as the live action Marvel movies yeah, at this time. these movies don't, like, what, how do you even line item these budgets? Like, mm -hmm. what, what is the cost? I don't know. It's well, I mean, Craig T. Nelson is asking for at least 30, right? <laughs> like, the coach doesn't do anything less than 30 yeah, mil. <laughs> oh, man. Now, having said that. No offense, What coach. it would make at the box office uh, is... Did it cross a billion? $1.2 billion worldwide. Mm. Um, it was the fourth highest grossing film of 2018 oh, worldwide. Yeah. Avengers. It still, to this day, Biggest is... Enemy. Oh, I guess I'll tell you about it later. But domestically, if we're just looking at North America, it is still the ninth highest grossing movie of all time. Oh, wow. And nobody, nobody can tell you what it's about. True enough. I mean, a lot of the uh, Jurassic Park sequels are on that list, and I defy anyone to tell me what happens in any of those sequels. But <laughs> I did this last week for uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet, but I said, just as an example, what the first one did to compare. So back in 2004, the budget for the first Incredibles movie, apparently they did not keep good track because they say... Either ninety-two or hundred and forty-five million dollars. Wow, that's a big, that's a big hyphen. Big budget. Yeah, it's a big hyphen. That's a but a big swing G too. Give or like, take well, fifty mil. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, it's fine. Could've... Even if we say it's the highest one, uh -huh. it would. So it was made for sixty million less than than the sequel was. It would make six hundred and thirty-one million dollars back in two thousand and four. This is where I step in and do say this movie so much outperformed what they had projected this movie to make. This was, I remember this, like the talk of the summer because no one 
had predicted it to make over a billion dollars. Yeah. Is that Marvel runoff? Because people just have this insatiable appetite I for superheroism? We, we talk about this a lot too, that certain sequels specifically can hit just at the right time, where if they came out too quickly, they probably wouldn't make as much money. If they wait way too long, they Nobody can't. Remembers. I think it was right in the right period. It's like been 14 years, uh, people who have gone seen it might have had kids by now, and like they mm-hmm. wanted to go and show their mm-hmm. kids this movie. I think it was just a perfect storm of like 14 years, boom, it just becomes this huge, huge thing. Because... Um, I might be getting it slightly incorrect, but I think at the high end, they were saying, well, 850 is like the maximum we're thinking. Low end, oh. we're thinking is 600, but like it's going to be in that frame. Every movie does this where they say like high end versus low, like they, they try and gauge it. Yeah, I don't pay attention. This made 400 million more dollars than even their most like highest projections mm-hmm, that they mm-hmm. thought it could make. It's probably also allowed to release in China. Oh, that's a good truth. Right? Mean, that might be true. Because it doesn't yeah, yeah. offend... Anybody, whatever people want to read into lesbian, there's no gays in it. There's no uh, negative Asian stereotypes. It's not about communism. Its plot description from IMDb is the Incredibles family takes on a new mission, which involves a change in family roles. Bob Parr, Mister Incredible, must manage the house while his wife Helen, Elastigirl, goes out to save the world. Well, I guess it's time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess Guess that tag. Dave, you know, when you go to the when you go to the movie theater, there's that row of posters that you drool over. I'm like, oh my god, so much amazing Hollywood content. Salivating. They'll be able to yeah. feast upon yeah. over the upcoming weeks. Do you think and kids these this, days even see the posters because their faces are in their screens? Like when they come to the theater, do they even realize there are posters on the wall? It's not. There would be full frontal, credit, and no one would care. <laughs> they would just walk right past it. Well, they're on TikTok, so they see worse things. There's little witticisms that are printed on the posters to entice you to come and see the movie. So, Dave, maybe you are like gearing up for some Canadian content. Oh yeah, and you're like, I want to watch Blackberry. I'm so. It's about Blackberry. Oh, is it about Rim? Oh, yeah. But it stars Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton from Sunny in Philadelphia. Wow. So that's not going to make any money. No. But apparently, this is the bonkers thing. It's getting like amazing reviews. Sure. <laughs> this has a tagline. Was the real tagline back to work? Is it worth the wait? Or is it the incredible sequel? Wow. Let's go with back to work. You got it. Oh, yeah. nice. That is the actual yeah. tagline to this movie. Just put in a lot of applause. Thank you. Thank Waiting you. for 14 years for the tagline <laughs> back to work. <laughs> I would have wrote, why not? The stars Holly Hunter as Helen Parr, Greg T. Nelson as Bob Parr, Sarah Vowell as Violet Parr, Huck Milner as Dashiell Parr, <laughs> and Catherine Keener as Evelyn Dever, Bob Odenkirk as Winston Dever. Mm. Again, I am not the only person who has pointed this out. I do like that their code names, last names are Parr, as being like they're on par the, with humanity, that sort of thing. Anyways, what? Fun little, Is that a thing? That's literally why they're named that, yes. That's fucking they're not stupid. exceptional. They're not below exceptional. They're just on par. They're just normal. That's so dumb. What a boring, <laughs> boring idea. I thought it was just a, la- a white last name. Well, it's that too. It works both <laughs> ways, Dave. It works both ways. Sarah Val, if you don't know, uh, who voices Violet, is a reporter. She oh. She's a reporter. Has done a bunch of uh, audio podcast stories for This American Life. So oh, that's cool. what I always hear when I hear her speak, not as a teenage girl, but as a 35-year-old woman at, at the time. Oh. 
uh, or 40 year old one, I guess, when this one comes out. Great, great voice, but she always sounds a little bored by what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, Holly Hunter is funny. I kind of discovered her with that. Oh, shit. What's the Ewan McGregor, Cameron Diaz, Extraordinary Life? Or? Oh, my God. Um, Fuck. You, you've seen that movie? Yeah. I, they used to be, I used Which to be a movie. Awful, I by really the way. liked it, like when I was, when I was young. But Holly Hunter is the angel yes. with She's Delroy angel Lindo. With, um, Delroy Lindo. See, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just watched this, this for the first time because that's um, a Danny Boyle film. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't say they would hold up because I had it on it VHS. It's right. So bad. A life less ordinary. A life by less the way. ordinary. Right. I couldn't even tell you what it's about. The movie that uh, made him and Ewan McGregor stop being friends. <laughs> Good. It's true. Good. Uh, yeah, so that that was the time post train spotting, and that movie came out the same time as Pillow Book, I think. That's I around know. the same time as the Ewan McGregor penis uh, story. I really liked that movie. I have no idea what it's about, but Holly Hunter was the angel. I really liked her in it. And then she kind of blew up with, was she on a big TV show for a bit or? No, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe. Mm. Anyways. She wins the Academy good. Award in 93. What does she win an Academy Award for? Piano. Oh, the piano. Okay. I love Catherine Keener. Every time she shows up, I'm so happy for Catherine Keener. You know, I wish I didn't like her character design in this film. Sure. There's something... That's fair. There's something wrong about the way she was drawn. I don't know if her eyes were too big. There's something like it, it went too far one way, considering she mm -hmm. wasn't a superhero. And I don't know if they were trying to give her the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman vibe, but she just... It, it was very awkward. And on the same token, Bob Odenkirk's the brother was also oddly drawn. There was just something not right about their character design. I think maybe because they're put against all the superheroes, but I didn't even realize it's Catherine Keener and Bob, Bob Odenkirk. Now that you say it, I'm like, that's obviously his voice, mm -hmm. but uh, I couldn't pick up on it. The amount of things you don't pick up on is astronomical. So directors of photography, there's three of them. Good. Magyar Abusaidi, Matt Aspbury, and Eric Smith who combined have worked on a bunch of animation stuff. So they're not always all together, but their work has, can be seen in Cars 2, Up, Soul, The Road to El Dorado, Coco. Oh, so wow. they've been around Pixar and animation in general for a long time. If you're a DP in animation, are you a programmer or are you just instructing the uh, 3D modeling team of where that you want? I am not 100% because some of these, a couple of them started in special effects. Yeah. So I'm assuming that they were somewhat of a programming knowledge. Yeah. But again, someone can write in if I am completely out to lunch. From my understanding in animation, when someone is either a cinematographer or director of photography, yeah, they are telling or helping people where to place the camera and the lighting within the 3D <laughs> in each environment. Scene, yeah. In the 3D environment and getting the animation still animated, et cetera, et cetera. Written and directed by Brad Bird. We've already talked about this a little bit, but the original film released in 2004, before the MCU became a thing and before superheroes were this unstoppable force. Ever since that film came out, there was this enthusiasm for a sequel from fans. Brad Bird was always open to the idea of a sequel, but in a few different interviews, he kept reiterating that he didn't want to do a sequel unless it was better than the original. He loved the characters he'd helped to create and wanted to explore different elements of the world. One cool thing to point out is that even while promoting the first film in 2004, he let slip that uh, part of what he wanted to explore in a sequel is having Bob and Helen switch roles and play off that dynamic. So that was something that was seeded even back in 2004. I mean, of, they, that's what he wanted to do. That's the other thing about this film. They kind of, 
they don't do it explicitly as a plot device in the first one, but it is part of the first movie. It is. That he's got to relinquish the control of being the alpha because she's more capable than he wants to admit, right? It, it's a, a single line, but I think they both come to the, the idea as like, it shouldn't be one or the other. Like we have to be compliments to each other yeah. at the end of the day. Like uh, one parent here and one parent there. Mm. Now, the year is 2014. Bob Iger currently is the CEO of Disney. And he tells a shareholders meeting that Pixar is indeed working on a sequel. Brad Bird was returning, uh, but he was finishing up Tomorrowland and had already committed to making Incredibles 2 his next film. The script begins to be worked on in 2015. Uh, Brad Bird acknowledged that the challenge of creating another superhero story in the midst of the MCU dominance a problem. A challenge. Mm. So he says, this is a quote, For me, the interesting thing was never the superhero part of it. It was more the family dynamic and how we do superhero things play into that. Now, technology had also changed since 2004. Some of the limitations that were around during the development of the first film, like one, this is a big thing that they call it in a couple of <laughs> articles I read, was how to animate long hair properly. That was actually a big thing in 2004. Mm -hmm. Hair is very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It requires a lot of processing power. As well as just how to make humans look good in 3D animation. Also still working on that. The software had also changed, which means that they, everyone needed to be remodeled uh, from scratch. That makes sense. Which, I, which probably puts into perspective, one of the things that people have brought up for Toy Story in the early Pixar films is just to quote unquote remaster them mm -hmm. with new animation. Oh. But by the sound of it, that means that they would have to like redo everything uh, rather than just overlay it with something. No, from the sounds of it, they're just going to do a live action remake and it's going to be fucking terrible. Yeah. I want it to still be Tom Hanks and uh, <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim Allen. Allen. <laughs> Some of the voice actors aren't around though. So here is the thing that I was mentioning here before. Production was forced to go quicker than expected. When it was originally announced, Incredibles 2 was supposed to be released in summer of 2019. Oh. And Toy Story 4 was meant to be released in summer of 2018. So because of script issues on that film in Toy Story 4 and uh, John Lasseter needing to leave the company, <laughs> Disney had to make this decision to basically swap the release dates. Because... Mm -hmm. Uh, Incredibles was going fine. They just said, okay, instead of another year, you have to release this summer. And Toy Story 4 hopscotched it and, or leapfrogged it and got, went into the summer of 2019. So that means uh, certain plot lines had to be entirely cut out of the film. They went down into like this one core idea of the parents switching roles. So I feel, again, we still have to judge the movie on what was released. I feel there was probably some more stuff that they wanted to include that they just couldn't because they were given... 365 less days of preparation time. I think that's fair. But yeah. the only caveat, qualm, is that this is not a short movie. It doesn't lack. That is true. It is still right? two hours long. Yeah. yeah. So like saying that if we got an extra 30 minutes, this would have been an epic would not be true. If they had an extra 30 minutes of secondary plot lines, the editing would have been more difficult. It'd be I mean, I don't, who knows? Who knows how it works? Yeah, I want to know exactly what that means because I feel like... In my version of what I read into that, mm -hmm. the brother-sister character were always there. That was always going to be the twist. But maybe they weren't as prominent <laughs> as what they are in the movie. I don't know. I might be making that up completely. But well, they were forced to become the ma major villains rather than that being what it was from the original The other thing... Idea. I mean, we because we don't know anything about Hollywood writing in general. But the way you're describing 
building animated projects needing so much more intentionality and control. I mean, if they're already animating sequences, that means the plot can't change that much because it will affect the production time. So I think that sounds a little bit like a cop-out. When you hear something like that, sure. I would think about uh, animation quality and I would think about uh, like voice acting and all, all of the things they do in post. Well, but, you know, the creation of the story should have been set long before yes, they did. Yes, but. Yeah. This is a very Pixar thing. This has been true since Toy Story and continues on with uh, whoever's running Pixar. Pixar runs very differently than any other animation studio, including Disney Animation. There is always a rough cut that they do that gets screened, notes are given, things are rewritten, things are reanimated, and then they go through the process again. Mm -hmm. And so it goes through three or four different revisions before it gets released. Mm -hmm. So if they didn't have time, let's just say, for one of those revisions, let's just say, maybe certain things got extent, uh, focused on a bit too much or whatever yeah. happened. Again, it I don't know. I have no, I wasn't there, but yeah, I, I just don't think the full process was able to go through. Yeah, it's just interesting. Even Toy Story went through four or five different revisions before it became the movie we know it as today. Yeah, and, and for sure. I mean, uh, whenever you get the notice that you've lost a full can calendar year of your production, it's going to affect, even if you've okayed the story, it's going to affect how you, how you approach yeah. it and where you decide to spend time. So yeah, I think that's fine. The fan excitement, of course, was palpable. Uh, I remember being on the internet again back in 2018 and just how excited people were for this movie coming out. Its trailer had the most views for an animated trailer ever. Like, I forget what it was. It was some ridiculous amount of many times it was viewed. It gets released, completely exceeds expectations of what it was going to make. Uh, upon release, like I said, it was the fourth highest grossing movie in the world that year. It became the ninth highest grossing domestic film of all time. Worldwide, it still sits at number 21. It is the 21 highest grossing movie of all time. It's crazy. For animated films, only Frozen has made more worldwide, but not domestically. So worldwide Frozen has made more. And other box office milestones, it's the fastest animated film to get to a billion dollars. It did it in 46 days. And as of this recording, it is still the highest grossing Pixar film of all time. Is uh, Super Mario approaching that at this point? Uh, last I checked, yeah, it's at $630 million, yeah. so it could, it it's could trying. break the billion faster. It's trying. It needs to find a couple more mushrooms. Maybe. Mushrooms. fire flower, if I, <laughs> if I may. A star, even. It would also be nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards that year, but it did not win. Yeah, we'll talk about it next week, about these, uh, divisions now. The lines are even blurrier. Well, this movie, I think, here's the thing, Dave. shouldn't have been nominated for an Oscar at all. I mean, that's not well. It, the, that gets into the thing of how many animated films are right. actually released each year. But how wild is it? How wild is it? Not only yes, is digging box office completely out of this. Not only is this not the best superhero film that came out in the year 2018. It's not even the best animated <laughs> superhero film that came out in 2018. Nope. Like if you went into, down into like more and more niche, yeah. like you can see how far the industry has come yeah. after things it did. It innovated in the first film for sure, but I think the sequel a little bit uh, lost in in the water, a little I, lost in the wake. I think this is why 
I didn't, I honestly did not have that much anticipation for this sequel. I have, I'm jaded on sequels, as you know, in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that when this thing was coming out, I wasn't like upset that I didn't get a ticket opening night. I think I was pretty satisfied to just wait for it to appear on iTunes as a rental. Because yeah, I don't think, yeah, Disney obviously wasn't a thing yet. Uh, On the flip side, as you're about, you know, alluding to perhaps our next film was going to be a fucking banger. And uh, probably the biggest Oscar snub in the history of uh, film. <laughs> I mean, it still wins for best animated, but sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think this is, these are all pieces like the MCU, you know, we'll watch that movie too. But Infinity War becoming this culmination of like the ultimate melodramatic soap operatic superhero movie of all time. And mm-hmm. then you have Spider-Man coming out, which shows you a perfect, you know, but to be fair, we film. will maybe talk about this next week. Who knows? Who knows what we're going to watch next week? But uh, the exact opposite expectation from it was going on before those movies were released. Yeah. People did not have high expectations for that Spider-Man movie. No, no. Not at all. No. People were writing it off as being like, oh, this is just Sony rushing something out because they have the IP and because they can do it. And I think that movie took a lot of people by surprise and I actually think it found a bigger audience once it came onto video. This- and people were like, oh. This is actually way better than I thought it was going to be. This is the crazy... I don't know. This is why submitting yourself to populism is dangerous. Like, if you were in 2018 and you were on YouTube and you saw the trailer for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and you didn't think it was going to be a fucking banger, then you're an idiot. It's like everything, everywhere, all at once. If you see the trailer... That is is me then, because I actually... I right. don't think that trailer is actually very good. Is I'm just saying, like, part. even the art style and the idea sure. of bringing Miles Morales into the Spider-Verse or everything yes, everywhere all at once, right? Like, you see this, you have no idea there's going to be hot dog fingers, but you see Michelle Yeoh in this crazy, you know, music video-esque film. You should know automatically that even if it's not going to win Best Picture, that you need to see it because it's going to be super interesting. Mm. But you see Incredible for me, I see Incredibles 2 and I'm thinking Cars 2. And I'm not thinking Toy Story 2. I'm not thinking this looks like a, a big mm-hmm. change. It looked a flat and uh, it was. So flat they should have called it Stanley. I don't know how to evaluate movies in a vacuum. Like maybe there are ways to evaluate independent of its first movie, independent of the time that it comes out. Am I expecting too much from a superhero movie? But I do feel like one of the most damning parts of my thoughts on this film is that the first one, if you watch it now, is vastly superior. And it ought not to be, right? Like if this is the $1.6 billion version sequel, then it ought to mean in a capitalist sense that it is that much better. It's two times better than the first one. And it's like half. You know, it doesn't it doesn't come up to the mark. It's not even comparable. You and I, I didn't watch Incredibles for this lead up. We could talk for another hour about that film and actually mm-hmm. remember every plot point. We could sure. remember every character that's involved in it, right? Uh, and this one, you know, it took us the preamble before we started recording. And then as you're bringing up notes, I'm remembering scenes. We turn this off. I am not going to remember what this movie is about. And in a year, if my son wants to watch it, I will not be able to summarize what happens until we watch it again, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's uh, flat. So you know what? The other thing that sucked for me is uh, Samuel Jackson's character. What is he called? Frozone? Frozone. You know, disappears largely in this film. You know, maybe that's another thing they had to edit out. I will say this though. I would be very shocked if they do not make an Incredibles 3 at some point. Well, maybe 1.6 um, billion. I think Desire's there. Well, it, I forget it, what Brad Bird the- is working on currently. I think there's another movie he's trying to get made first, but I'm sure that he's going to come back to this well. Here's my final gripe. What happened to the mole guy? Like they never went back for him. He stole money from a bank. 
Like, you got to go back and tie up that loose end. Maybe this is me showing me forgetting stuff. Don't they capture him at the very nope. end? Or no, does he tunnel away? He tunnels, tunnels away. He end. gets away with the money. That's why they are blamed for the destruction of the bank. Right. And so then, tying him back at the very end, maybe. And then yeah, nothing. Yeah. Unless there's a post-credit scene, which I didn't stick no, around for. No. Which is a Fantastic Four villain, by the way. That's uh, straight up. The is. Mole Man. Mole. Yeah, I can't remember what he called himself. The under the undergrounder? No. Mole Yardy, I believe. Uh, I don't think he actually used the was. word mole. It was like the under... Un under oh, no. It's the undergrounder or undergr something like undertake that. Not undertaker, because that would have been infringement WWE, but the underminer. Underminer, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny. That's actually a funny yeah. <laughs> play on words. I don't know. It was, the, the, the funny thing is, like, the more you talk, like, I, I get it and I agree with all the criticisms. And at the same time, like, it's forgettable. And yeah, I still have, like, a some semi positive yeah, yeah. <laughs> relationship yeah, with this movie. If we really start to nitpick it, yes. But it's not like I'm watching it and, like, being angry no. or negative, like I was with Ralph Brace Internet last week, mm. where it's like, this movie is actively making me kind of angry that I'm watching it. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not a, it's not a bad man. There are fun moments in it and there are intelligent people behind it. That's just the last point which we probably don't even have enough time to delve into here. I will say that one of the major criticisms some culture critics will level at Brad Bird in total, uh, especially if you look at most of his animated stuff, is this idea of looking at people who are exceptional and are forced to live mediocre lives because you cannot be your true like superpowered self which again this is the culture credit is going in is a very Ayn Rand philosophy of things which is I, I will say something that Brad Bird himself is like straight up rejected is like no that is not at all what I'm trying to why would you say about if you fuck this is why I hate culture critics like if you're gonna level this idea at anything how can you see a movie about any narrative hero you can't go on any hero's journey without that as a core concept i guess i think i think it's in particular more so for the first one i say it's a little bit of a stretch here in the second one but in the first no. one especially the character of dash where they're like you cannot go out and actually show your superpowers yeah, but this, or else why why extend that into it's like even this idea that Ayn Rand birthed American fascism is fucking insane. It's like uh, Hitler in, uh, appropriating Nietzsche. Like Nietzsche is mm. not a racist, but because a racist used pieces of their work, now you're associated. You know, Schopenhauer is probably more racist than fucking Nietzsche was. I hate when I hear stuff like that because if you sit down to watch a fucking superhero family movie, you can fuck off with your idea that they shouldn't be superheroes, right? Like, it's just weird. It's just a weird way to approach. I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, you were being mad that a person uh, wasn't shown correct, like a gravitas for faking letters and stuff like that. So I don't know. You like to you like to push the cultural criticism at times, Dave. No, I, wait. What what is the what is the that you said I that we shouldn't level cultural criticism yeah. on on films. I guess specifically you're saying family films, but I'm saying that you do like to do that occasionally to other media. Uh -huh. Well, I'm trying to understand when- In a gotcha moment is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> what was that movie called? Can't- Sorry. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> sorry. It's called <laughs> hashtag sorry, not sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me- I'll have to chew on- how the two arguments are related because uh, yeah i don't mind being wrong either i just uh try to understand what we're getting at you both hacks to totally like uh, go against my argument here 
I've always kind of seen as a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> the Anne Rand criticism for Redbird, it does come literally, if you read reviews, yeah. come up every single movie he brings out. Why? Someone brings it like, it's a very weird Anne Randian philosophy that Brad Bird brings to his filmography. Does, does he have some I guess personal shit? Is this, well, he says he's not. He says he is not an Anne Rand supporter of uh, any kind. Uh. Um, unfortunately, he calls himself a centrist, which is like worse than saying that you're an Anne Rand yeah, yeah. supporter. There is something that you can say if you look at his filmography, specifically if you look at Tomorrowland, Iron Giant, uh, the two Incredibles films specifically, that there does seem to be like a repressed like superiority of a character that they cannot be their true selves, that they have to be mediocre mm-hmm. instead of great. And that is an Ayn Rand philosophy, because it's true, but I don't know. I don't know if it's just the genres, though, that he's interested in rather than an actual philosophy he's trying to promote. Mm. I don't know. I mean, that's... This also goes into the thing, like, we've brought up occasionally, whereas, like, technically, if you really want to get into it, every superhero film is a fascist film. Yeah. Not just a film. Like, every superhero story is. I'm just trying to analyze even, like, Greek, like, ancient mythology. Sure. You know? There are tenants. I mean, it's not like Ayn Rand invented this idea. No. Right? No, no, no. I just think it's an easy thing to use as an example. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. I um, People have too much time on their hands if they're going to dissect a film and compare it to some like science fiction writer from from the... Once Ayn Rand, like 50, early 50s or something. Like, yeah, I can't uh, remember. Who cares? Uh, I can't believe she gets so much press just because of who's a, is the Proud Boys? Like who keeps referencing? Yeah, like the Proud Boys champion her as like this great writer. Fuck. We're done here. So she said that we do have to wrap this up. But first, let's go into Critics' Choice. This is us. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time that this film was released. So I'm going to talk about Hannah Strong writing for Little White Lies. Her positive review is Craig T. Nelson and Holly Hunter in particular are on top form. And the laughs are genuine and well-earned. A scene involving Jack-Jack and a raccoon is a masterclass in physical comedy. As an extension of its source material, and as a comedy about a family that just happens to save the world, Incredibles 2 works just fine, leaning into the collective nostalgia to ensure its record-smashing box office figures. It's just a shame director Brad Bird doesn't bring anything new to the table in the vein of Inside Out or Coco. That was the positive one. But there's a a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, all you need is a three out of five (laughs) to be positive. So, Uh, all right. Well, I'll read Mr. Robert Daniels from 812 Film Reviews. One word. Ultimately, Incredibles 2's biggest weakness is the period it's set in. Toy Story 3 is an amazing sequel because it sets us in Andy's future. It asks the question we've all asked, have we? What happens when Andy grows up? Now, imagine if Toy Story 3 had begun after the conclusion of 2, you'd probably get more of the same. So while we see Jack-Jack find his 17 powers, Violet wilt around her crush, and Dash struggle with math, there's little that tells us much else about the children. And maybe that wouldn't be a weakness, if there weren't so many instances of forgotten conflict. Instead, Bird paints himself into a corner. He's only able to tell one story, a mostly safe one, by not setting this film a few years down the line. And while we get a solid film, we miss out on a great one. I think I kind of veer more into Mr. Robert Daniels' uh, opinion, even though I think I'm giving it slightly higher than uh, what he gave it. Well, I don't know so. score, but uh, yeah, good points. Good points. All right. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? No, I, I don't think it holds yeah. up that well. And it definitely has nothing to do with culture. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, this is true so much too. When you look at like the top box office films, very few of them, well, I even argue, are technically culturally relevant anymore. There's a few outsiders. You see most of the Transformers movie in that list, no. and like 
And that's no why you boycott them, movies. Kyle. Yeah, no one, why no would one cares you, about those movies. Why? Why did you give? Why did you give Michael Bay your money? I hey, to be fair, uh huh, uh huh. I only saw the first two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and even that I was about ready to, it was actually, it would have, if I had gone to the movie by myself, uh-huh. I would have walked out of Transformers too. It would have been the first time I ever walked out of a you movie because I was there with other people. I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to suffer through this. Aren't they like, all Michael Bay movies are like two and a half hours long too. That's yeah, but he used to do fun ones. I also throw on The Rock. The Rock is the a Rock's great movie. The Rock's great. Bad Boys yeah. was good. The first one. Um, although I don't think it holds up because it's, it's got a no. lot of, uh homophobic in nature yes. to it you might say yes yeah um and uh, i tried watching it a couple AZ. summers ago yeah. and i was like whoa i do not remember it being this yeah. aggressively so we need to rate this film but before we do that's what dave and i thought what do you think you can send us any feedback to kyle and dave vs the machine at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter or instagram with the handle kdvstm we also have videos on our youtube channel and if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given you can go to our letterboxd page that's letterboxd.com slash kdvstm and if you want to help support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there's a link in the show notes of this episode you can support for as low as a dollar per month something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts so let's get the rating of this movie dave what are you going to give incredibles to i was thinking about a three but thinking about how it's not culturally relevant and doesn't hold up. I'm going to drop it down to 2.5. I can't go lower because there are fun bits in it. So I'm going to go with the 2.5. That's not a good score. Yeah. See, this is what I mean is that I have, I'm rating this like way higher than you, even though I recognize some of the detriments. Again, I find this mostly forgettable, but a pleasant experience. So I'm giving it a 3.5 as oh, I'm wow. giving this movie. Is that the score you gave the favorite? Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> you're a, you're an asshole. <laughs> you're a hack. You see what hack. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. I watched, uh, I watched Ghosted last night and it's bad, but I loved it. So who cares? Here's the thing. If put side by side, I would always pick the favorite to watch sure. if it makes it any better. Sure. But like. Three and yeah. a half's high though. I, even with your uh, softiness, I thought you might go for a three, but all right. Okay. Anyways, that is going to go to a three. That doesn't tie with anything. Oh. So that is going to go right into our new number 11 position, right below Cold War, right above Creed 2. Mm. Okay. So we've basically already ruined it. Well, let me just push this button. Oh my God, Dave, we're going to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Gasp. What a shock. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Unfortunately, I guess I shouldn't say unfortunately, because I do love that film. It's probably going to be our number one movie of the year. I'm just going to call it now. It's probably <laughs> going to be what it's going to be. Uh, yeah. Unless you shock me with two other films we're going to talk about this year. Uh-huh. I just don't see any other movie. Uh, you mean that high. Venom. Yeah. Venom is going to be our new number one. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Um, well, she's, ooh, it's kind of emanating this weird greenish glow. Mm-hmm. You think I should be worried about this? No, actually, this is a great sign because what you need to do next is offer it human warmth so if you just come closer and just wrap your okay, body I'm gonna, around I'm it a ton this yeah. dave <laughs> that's just because you have serious brain damage <laughs>